everyone. Welcome to Adoption Adventures. Hope you're all doing well. Um, so, as this uh, as this episode is releasing, I must confess, it is being recorded ahead of time. Why, Richard? Why is it being recorded ahead of time? I'll tell you exactly why. It is the middle of show week for me, and I am fully aware that next week I am going to be exhausted and probably behind time. So what I thought was, as it's show week, I've taken the day off. As I've taken the day off, why not get ahead of things? Why not actually be prepared? What? I know, right? Exciting. Uh, So we've pretty much done a little bit of time travel with this episode, which is pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Um, From here on in, you can call me Doc. Or Marty. I think Doc would be better. Uh... So, um, in our last episode, uh, the brief episode, I mentioned that I'd just done a, a new questionnaire for adopters um, and had focused on a new topic, but I wanted to do a whole episode on that. Well, today is that episode. I went out to our network and I spoke about children's behaviours um, when we set up this year looking at different topics, different things that were causing issue or whatever. Um, we focused on a number of different things that were pinch points for families. One of the big pinch points for families was behavioural challenges. Um, and what we wanted to do as a group is we wanted to delve further into that and identify what sort of behaviours people were seeing and what sort of support they needed or had indeed put in place. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk you through exactly what I found um, and some of the recommendations that I was making. Um, I say I, it was uh, it was our board um, got together and this was our findings and our recommendations. So have a have a listen and let me know if um, if you think that there's some other information that we didn't glean from this data. Um, perhaps it's, it's something that we didn't see, or perhaps actually it's in, put you in sort of a, a light of feeling like you're not the only one. Um, always interested to hear. Um, so our first question was, what behavioural challenges do you face in your family? Um, and what we did here, um, we broke this down into a number of different categories and people could check as many boxes as they liked. Um, they could check all of them um, or none of them. Um, but it was things like attachment behaviour, uh, violence, aggression in the home or aggression outside of the home. Um, all of these things, whole whole host of them. Um, and the results from that uh, were were quite interesting, really. Um, so the top response um, with eighty four or eighty five percent of the the people that had responded clicked um, anxiety related behavioural issues. Seventy nine percent of the people um, talked about attachment behaviour being a problem. Then you had three others, um, three sort of 
big big hitters um you had controlling behavior at 67 percent transitions at 62 percent and aggression in the home at 60 percent um moving sort of lower down um not sort of not bringing though the value of those down but the response rates uh you had 37 percent of uh, responses were about violence um 23 percent were aggression outside of the home um you had 38 percent of uh, responses about dishonesty um quite um there were quite a sort of small number of people but they did still mention crime related substance abuse um, and self-harm um all massive massive topics and i i don't want to overlook them but in a positive way um out of the 75 responses that we had to that it was quite nice to see that those areas were getting quite low responses now that could be um because of the data itself so it could be that the people that have answered are quite new into their um, adoption placements or their children are still quite young um so perhaps they haven't moved into these areas um or perhaps it's just not seen that widely um you know i don't have the data to support a, a way of thinking about that so i won't delve into that but they are massive topics and if you are dealing with any of those things, then I would strongly urge you to speak with the post adoption team if you have them, um, or, or reach out to me and I will help you signpost you to some people that I have come into contact that I know can help. So like I say, not not playing those down, um, but I think that they're a, a, a bigger topic to focus on elsewhere. Um, so from the responses that we got there, um, I don't know about you, uh, but we all agreed that we felt that transitions being as high up as they were was quite a surprise. Um, now, we, I think I talked about transitions a couple of times um, and we talked about how transitions can look a little bit different. So is this transitions from moving from one school to the next? Is it transitions from moving one classroom to the next? Is it a transition of moving from foster care to our care? Um, transitions, I think <clears throat> it's, a, it's, it's a truly broad subject in itself. But seeing that 62% of the responses said that they have behavioural issues surrounding transitions demonstrates that that's a, that's a big it's a big deal for for families um and it's it's really impactful um and it can it can be quite a challenge for for many of us um so i think that there's more research to be done here i think that um we need to look at what is it about transitions that causes the difficulties um is it again does this come into fall into the anxiety sort of side of it is it that every time that there's a move is this a reminder of moving um it's yeah like i say I, we need to we need to delve further into this with to fully understand what it is about transitions that really worry um families and children and what we can do to support them with that um i know that 
particularly when it comes to schooling transitions, I've heard of some incredible, incredible work done. And then I've heard of some dreadful work done. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely interesting um, and, and definitely one to look at. The next thing that we saw um, and discussed was um, sort of how the top rated one at 85% was anxiety related. Um, and we saw that sort of our children's behaviours being um, sort of challenging um, when it comes to anxiety relation is, it was interesting. And it, for me, it raised a question um, of, do you think that anxiety related behavioural issues are higher now than they would have been before COVID? And the added question of, do you think that more of us are feeling more anxious? And as a result, we are sort of, I'll say pushing that onto our children, but I don't mean that in that negative way. I, I mean that we're living in that world and we're sort of, we're sharing that and we're feeling that. So are our children picking up on their own anxieties and it's adding to their own anxieties? And is it sort of self-perpetuating? Is anxiety worse now than it was pre-COVID? Um, I know certainly for myself, um, during that two-year period, my mental health took a took a hit, um, and I know I'm not alone. I know that I had some really really down days. I had some some days where I was like, "Oh my lord, I am, I'm struggling," um, and I'm I'm. I consider myself quite a, a sort of a highly positive person. Um, people that I interact with say that they feel that positivity and that positive charge. Um, so I remember sort of saying, you know, if I'm feeling low, then goodness knows how someone who already was kind of middle, sort of middle of the range um, on their sort of emotional status how they would have felt and then take into people that felt low before COVID, how COVID must have hit people. Um, it's, it's huge, absolutely huge. And, and then add it to that as well of we're as a, as a nation, as a, as a globe, we're trying to bounce back. Um, and I think that we've worked really hard to sort of take into account the, the last two years but i also think that we have quite short memory um and a we want to be done with those last two years and the amount of conversations i had where people go right that's it i just don't want to talk about covid anymore um other people you know just said yeah let's just get back to normal and that whole array of emotions and and then there's such mixed emotions to all of it. And I think, I think it's fair to say that we've not quite dealt with that and we've not quite dealt with the fallout of it. Um, and as a result, I think that people are much more anxious in general now. Um, we've got the sort of the latest um, concern is monkeypox being discussed. I know that there's a couple of people who are feeling super anxious about it um, and that, you know, they are starting to go back to old behaviours of 
sort of hand sanitizing literally every couple of minutes and not wanting to touch or interact with people and i think you know we've just gone through two years of this so people are more prepared for a pandemic than we've ever been before but still unprepared because there's still not that much information around so it's i think anxieties in general are higher um are we seeing a higher level of that from our children is it because of covid or is it because of our reactions to covid or it's got nothing to do with covid and actually these children are anxious um and they need support with that are we better now at spotting anxiety um you know interesting interesting thought process um we noted that there was a high level of aggression being seen um we sort of saw that it was aggression in the home and outside of the home there was violence as well um we don't have the data to support how bad the aggression has got um, and how bad the violence has got. Is it verbal? Is it physical? Is it a mixture of both? Um, but it's high. Um, I remember when Little Dude moved in, there was aggression there. It was physical and mental um, aggression. And um, that was a tough old time. I do remember, and I've spoken about this a number of times before, I remember feeling like I was the only one that had gone through this, um, that we were the worst parents ever and that other parents would have done so much better a job than us. Um, and when I started to hear that other families were going through the same, that actually made me feel really good because it gave me sort of a little bit of um, a comfort to know that it wasn't something that we were doing. It was actually something that was part of the process. Not a particularly nice part of the process. Uh, not something I expected to that degree. But still something that, that was happening. Um, so, yeah. It's, um, it's, again, something that I think we need to learn more about. I think that there are lots and lots of training um, options available. There's one I've not actually attended myself, but I've heard great things about it, and we've done um, a recording on it, um, which is nonviolent resistance training. Um, and everything that I've read and learned about that suggests that it's a fantastic training platform and certainly something that you should look at accessing. Um, now, my um, sort of when we were going through the process, that wasn't a training that was available. If it were, we would have gone on it. Um, so my, my strong advice is read up on that. Um, see what more you can learn. Um, to see if you can sort of help reduce some of that um, frustration and aggression. Um, Attachment-related behaviour issues um, is a big focus for families. That was not a surprise, it was not a shock. Um, I, I think the shock that I found there was I was expecting that to to be the highest. Um, and we sort of talked in the group and we said, you know, anxiety-related behaviours are sort of the highest one, but is it anxiety about attachment? Um, so we, we delved a bit into that. But attachment, um, you know, this is massive. 
It's a massive, massive topic. We've looked at it in so many different ways on this podcast. Um, but it's still something that we need to keep in our minds. We need to understand that. We need to understand our children's behaviours and our own as well. Um, by understanding that, we can we can certainly help our children. The next question that we went on to ask um, was, what has been your best support? Again, people could tick a number of boxes if they wanted to. Um, but we looked here, um, again, we had the boxes of TheraPlay, uh, NBR, PACE, support groups, formal or informal, life story work, counselling, medication, post-adoption support and support network. Um, the highest response rate there was 45% uh, of people talked about um, support groups, both formal and informal, um, being a huge benefit. Um, and that linked in as well with support networks. 42% uh, of people were talking about their support networks. Um, obviously, the difference being support groups, support networks, it could be your friends, your family, um, not just um, a, a group that you have attended. Um, but linking those together, that they were hitting the high numbers, uh, the high levels of, of support for people. Um, next highest uh, was post-adoption support. Um, it's a really, really important element for adopters on their journeys and really imperative that it's done right. I've done work recently, and I've spoke about it recently, that I've done some work with a post-adoption team talking about what impact they have and how they can help and how they have helped. Um, it's something that we're looking at rolling out further and wider. Um, and I think really, really sort of engaging with the post-adoption teams and helping them to understand the importance that they play in our role um, and our journeys as well is, is really, really crucial. Um, seeing pace and therapy being high responses um, was was really really good um and again we had a discussion around how what this demonstrated was therapeutic parenting was really really coming into the forefront of being a great level of support um what's helping our children therapeutic parenting therapeutic support um from us is is really important there um Finally, um, realistically, what could your agency do to help manage your child's behaviour? Um, so what we wanted to do here, we wanted, we know that this is a pile of the sky question, but we wanted to ask, what is it that agencies could do? How could they improve things? Can they help? Are, are, we, are we looking for too much? Are, are we not asking the right questions? We wanted to find out more. Um, from this, again, that was an open question um, and we had open commentary and we then broke that down into different categories. The, the biggest response here was people were saying that what they actually wanted was quicker assessments and quicker response times. Um, they found that those delays were really frustrating. Um, equal to that was... Um, adopters saying that they wanted further training, um, more more training to be available, um, and just down from that was getting more training for professionals. So that was more training for social workers, more training for schools, more training for any professional that is working with um, children and young people. 
to just understand trauma um, and and get a better understanding of that. Um, so from all of those things, the recommendations that we were talking about. Um, so we talked about the timescales. We talked about how frustrating that is for families when they are not being made aware um, of how long something can take. Um, and I think it's about managing that expectation. Um, we said, you know, when we're applying for the ASF or anything like that or any support, as we're picking up that phone, if if the person on the other end of the phone says to you, okay, yes, you're looking for support for X, Y, and Z, we will start the ball rolling, but you need to be aware that this is an 18-month process. I know that all of us in that situation would say, oh my goodness, that is a long old time to wait. We are in crisis right now. How are we going to cope? Blah, 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 blah. Lots and lots of emotion around that wait. However, if you knew that there was a timescale and that was going to be strictly adhered to, I think that that would help people. Um, in a, it, The alternative is you've still got the 18-month wait, but no one's telling you that there's an 18-month wait. Instead, they're just going to keep you on the, on the hook. Um, and I think that that's going to cause a lot of frustrations and a lot of difficulties. So I think if, if instead we altered the narrative and said to people, right, yes, there is an 18-month wait. However, what we have done in the past with anyone who has launched into something like this, we have asked them to attend these support groups um, and attend this training. All of these things are available and are available straight away. Um, here's a buddy system that we've engaged in. Here's these things. What else are you doing? And putting that back onto the adopters, not to um, sort of put the pressure back on you, but actually to give you a couple of short-term fixes whilst the long-term fix is on its way. In the meantime, that might actually create a solution for you that you weren't aware of. Um, it might actually resolve the problem before that 18 months is up. Um, so it's not about putting wallpaper over the cracks. It's just not putting the best filler in them. Um, so that was our recommendation um, to just talk about pushing back to adopters to realign them and, and, and re-signpost them whilst you are still working in tandem to go down that road and that might take 18 months. I'm saying 18 months, that's just a number I've picked out of the sky. Um, but putting some things in place in the meantime, uh, so some things that might be able to help along the way. Uh, we said that the training that's available to adopters um, was not consistent. One agency would offer this level, the other agency would offer that. Um, and again, that wasn't okay. It shouldn't be a postcode lottery. Um, within all of the regional agencies, there should be a sort of an announcement of what training is available. Now, it might be that you have to travel two hours to access training. I know for a fact if the training was good enough and it was going to help my family, I'd do the travel. Um, but I think it should be up to adopters, not agencies. Um, I think the adopters should have the opportunity to opt into that process. Um, and, and the opting in will always make a difference. Um, signposting. Um, it's, 
it's an issue for adopters. Um, so we're again, we said if there was more sort of availability and more um, transparency about what training was available, it'd be really helpful um, so as agencies could then better signpost. Um, support groups, uh, we've talked about quite a lot in the past. Uh, we've talked about formal and informal support groups, um, how beneficial they are, what they are doing and how they are sort of helping everyone. Our next set of questionnaires is going to be around um, sort of support groups, but we're going to delve a little bit deeper and ask a couple of questions around sort of what do you want from a support group and if it doesn't exist why haven't you tried to create one um of course there's going to be the pushback of well i don't have time my response to that is if you don't have time why do you expect somebody else to um and i don't mean that as argumentative as it sounds i mean it in the way of someone has got to do it why not you um, we have talked about that before. Um, but yeah, that is the findings that I've had from um, from this uh, this session. I thought I'd share it with you. Um, I thought it was really interesting. And I thought that, you know, it, it played into some really interesting topics of conversation. Um, like I say, I, I hope that it's in a situation where it can help you to feel like you're not the only one going through it as well. Um, but yeah, have a listen um and and let me know let me know what what you think about this um you know have, have i struck a nerve or have i gone awry or has this helped you to feel like you are one of many that are going through the same thing um so yeah yeah i'm hoping that it's helped um get in touch uh you know you know where to find us um but Get in touch and let me know what your thoughts are. I hope to speak to you soon. Bye.